following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome back to episode five of the Underdog NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my co-host Zandrick Ellison out there on the left coast. And Zan, it is Wednesday morning. A ton of stuff has happened since last week. Some good, some bad. But how are you today? Well, I think we just had an election night. And you could tell that the country's divided. And people are rallying behind Kyrie versus Jamal Murray. I think everyone's taking a side. They got the campaign. It's a U.S. versus Canada kind of mentality, too, you know? Make America great again. Where uh, where do you stand on this? Obviously, Denver is super hot. They are 9-1. and one. Jamal Murray against Boston in Denver goes for 48 and it looks like Kyrie is upset. He even had a press conference on Tuesday where he said that he was okay to throw the ball in the stands because young Jamal Murray tried to score 50 points at the buzzer. And what, what do you think about this? Just before we get into if Denver's good or Boston's good, like what do you think about this Jamal Murray versus Kyrie Irving? It's so absurd. It, it, it seems like every week we have this sort of outrage about some stupid player behavior that doesn't matter to me at all. Um, I I really love Jamal Murray as a player, so maybe that bias that makes me biased. But um, who cares? I would love if I was at the game. I would love to see him go for fifty. It's kind of a fun storyline. I uh, agree with you, and I'll tell you what: I am okay with Kyrie Irving's opinion, but I'm also okay with Jamal Murray's opinion. Like for Kyrie, I would tell him like, "Hey, get some stops and don't let somebody score forty eight. And it wasn't even. I just remember this is like a little bit of a tangent, but I remember the first NBA game I ever went to um, was a Clippers game. And there was a guard, a backup guard named Derek Martin. I don't know if you would remember him. This is a while ago, but he's kind of like now he'd be the equivalent of like a Shelvin Mack or something like a, you know, decent backup kind of fringe rotation guy. And he was starting because of an injury and he got hot and he went for 20 and then he went for 30. And then they were winning the game and he was up to 38. And that became like a fun thing in the stands. Like, let's see if he can get to 40. And at the end of the day, basketball is entertainment. So let's see the guy try to go for 50. What's the harm besides Kyrie's hurt feelings? Do you buy into this unwritten rules thing? I mean, it's we're 10 games into the season. Utah will get to, or I mean, sorry, Denver will get to in a second, like is obviously very good. And, and Boston is is good as well. I think they have some offensive things to figure out, but like, do you buy into this unwritten rule that's disrespectful of Jamal Murray to do that? I don't think the current NBA culture really cares much about respect, right? Well, I, I understand. I don't think he embarrassed anyone specifically. You know, if it was like the taking, like taking advantage of making fun of one specific player, sometimes we get annoyed at Joel Embiid for doing that. I, I think it was just like you know a fun thing, and I, you know, it wasn't like going to affect anyone. Um. And also, I think it's so silly, like the fake outrage, but maybe real outrage by Kyrie and the threats of like, we're going to see them again. Like when? <laughs> like one time, two times a year? Um, like what's Kyrie going to do? Beat him up? Or, you know, it's like Kyrie's going to come back and shoot a 
contested 20 footer in his face. I mean, like, who, <laughs> what do you, what is your threat, Kyrie? What are you going to do? I mean, lost in that whole issue. And maybe this is why Kyrie's upset is he played awesome that game offensively. I mean, at 31 on 17 shots, like he was tremendous, but Denver, you're exactly right. So let, let's, let's dive into Denver for a second. Nine and one in the West. Uh, they have beaten Golden State head to head, but I believe they are technically behind Golden State one game in the standings. Uh, right now, eighth in offensive rating, third in defensive rating. And is this a team that Boston could play in the NBA Finals? I mean, let's overreact. Let's wildly speculate. <laughs> no, not in the finals, but I, I could see a little subtext there. Maybe Kyrie was thinking, look, we're supposed to be the young hot team who's 10 and one or nine and one. Um, and we're supposed to have the brightest future in the league. And I think, I don't think Denver is on the level of Boston necessarily yet, but they, I, I buy them more than I don't. You know, like this is a good young core, more so than Jokic and, and Jamal Murray. Like we talked about Trey Lyles potentially taking that Paul Millsap role down the road. I think he can do that as a stretch four. And then the guy that no one talks about who's hurt, hopefully he comes back, Michael Porter. Um, that was a guy who was a top three prospect before the injuries. Like, if he can come back and give them anything, this is a team that's set up for success for 10 to years, right? I, I think that for sure. And and part of it is, you know, is Jamal Murray going to be a star? Like, Jokic, I think, has already pretty much become a star in the sense that, like, the analytics community loves him. And now, kind of, other people are being forced to watch Denver and they're like, oh my God, this guy's really good. But, you know, looking at their schedule, they, they did lose in LA. That's their only loss. And then they they turn right back around and they beat New Orleans, who's on a little bit of a slide. They somehow find a way to win in Chicago after not playing well. They win in overtime. And then they beat Utah by 15. And then they beat the Celtics by eight, like pretty handily. So this is a team that's also beaten Golden State in a game in the lowest scoring game of the year. One at the Clippers. The Clippers are pretty good. And, and so I think like we're going to get a chance to see... You know, by the time this is aired, they'll have played in Memphis. Not an easy place to play. Then they have a homestand, Brooklyn... The Bucks, which should be very good, Houston and Atlanta. So this is a team that we could see end up fifteen and one before they go on the road. Well, even if they're not, I mean, it, you would credibly say Houston's been a little slow to start. We could talk about them later, but um, th- there's kind of an open lane for the number two spot in the West right now. It wouldn't shock me if Denver wins fifty three games and that's the number two seed. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they, you know, stumble a little bit and they get in at number eight. I would be surprised if they don't make the playoffs, though. I think this is clearly a playoff team now. Oh yeah, I think they're clearly a top four seat. You, you're not, you're not willing to go out on a limb right now and say that you think Denver will be one of the top four teams in the West. Uh, I would bet on them for that. I, it just wouldn't shock me if you know they stumble a little bit or Jokic gets hurt for ten games and they, and they stumble. Um, but. Remember, this is a team that didn't make it last year, so I don't want to get ahead of myself too much and overreact. But I, I would guess, I would peg them probably right now if I had to guess, like the three seed maybe? Yeah, I, I don't know who's, you know, I, I think they've clearly staked their claim as the two seed. The one thing I will say is that, you know, they've only gotten two games out of Will Barton, and that's a guy that's a big part of what they do. Um, so I, I think with with Will Barton coming back, we might get to see a little bit different of a Denver team. He plays, you know, much more erratic and breakneck pace than everybody else. He gives them a, a better perimeter defender. So, well, and also you have the you have the sleeper agent Isaiah Thomas who might come in and, and blow the whole thing up. Um, so I, that scares me. I'd rather just cut him and just say, "Hey, we got a good thing going. Let's not rock the boat." Well, with Will Barton healthy, if if Trey Lyles continues to get the same types of minutes, this is a team that's as deep as anybody in the league right now in terms of contributions that they get. They have uh, 11 guys playing 17 minutes or more, and 
you know, with that type of depth, I think that you get an opportunity to really see how good this team can be because, you know, playing guys not a ton of minutes is important. So, you know, Denver just won probably the best story of the year so far, a team that changed how they played late last year, really started to get it going and has continued to play that way. But I would say I've been probably more surprised at how good they've been defensively. I know that's Mike Malone's thing, but at the same time, like, they're really good offensively as well. And, and they're, you know, really locking guys down in an era right now where we're not seeing. Teams. That is surprising. And because there's always a rap on Jokic that he was a liability on defense. Jamal Murray came in with that reputation that he wasn't a good defender either. So when your best players are poor defensive players, you'd figure that your defense would naturally be bad. So I, I don't know what, what Mike Malone's doing to, to stop that, but it's working. I mean, I think we saw them against Utah. They kind of schemed Rudy Gobert out of the game on offense, but then Utah put them in a ton of pick and rolls, and that's what they're going to do. Teams, when they get a chance to play in a seven-game series against Denver, are going to put Jokic in a ton of pick and rolls. And how they are going to be able to combat that is going to be, you know, how far they go, and excluding Golden State in general because it's the right. I mean, it would be fun to see a world without Golden State because this is a team that could make the finals against Boston. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, like for me, I wonder, Zan, what team is really going to take that second spot with Houston struggling? Utah was a team that I thought they, they've struggled a little bit as well, but you know, like Portland's eight and three. Is that a team that matches up well with Denver? Is that a team that can keep pace? Is that a team that can guard Denver? And and I don't know, like Denver right now, other than Golden State and then Toronto in the East seems like the team best equipped offensively and defensively to compete with those two teams this year. Because most teams like, like the Celtics, for example, very, very good defensively have some real offensive issues right now. Philly the same way. Like I'm not confident in those teams. And Milwaukee's just young. I, maybe I'm stubborn, but I would still guess if I had to bet, I still think Houston is going to rise up and be this two seed. But if you're looking ahead way into the future, you know, Houston might have had their shot and they, they didn't get it. You know, they're all older now. Chris Paul's not getting any younger. And Jamal Murray and Jokic are so young that, you know, like this is not the best we'll see of them. Jamal Murray is going to be better next year than this year. And that's a scary thought if you're in the West because this team, they might have two legit all stars. You know, guys who are top 20 players conservatively, if we're talking about next year. Um, so the future is obviously bright for them. I'm a little less, um, I'm a little more hesitant to say it's going to happen this year in the playoffs. But I mean, if you're buying stock, this is a hot stock. All right. Let's uh, switch gears real quick to a guy I know you want to talk about. Jamal Murray goes for 48, but we did get Derrick Rose going for 50 last week for the Timberwolves in a game that Jimmy Butler didn't play. It looked like his teammates, I mean, he walks off the court in tears. He has a game-saving block. His teammates mob him. Your thoughts on Derrick Rose, is this closer to the guy that we saw win the MVP? Is this an outlier? Do we care that Derrick Rose scored 50 points? The rest of the league certainly did. But your thoughts on Derrick Rose? It was a great story. It was a great temporary story. And I don't want to bash Derrick Rose because he's such a, you know, it's such a good feel-good story. But I texted you. I'm glad that that happened after we recorded because if we recorded before, I would have talked about how dumb Thibodeau is for playing Derrick Rose at the expense of Tyus Jones. Um, And certainly he made me look dumb there. But I do think in the long term, this is still a young team, theoretically. So I do think they need to develop that future rotational player. Tyus Jones maybe is the starting point guard down the road. Um, I I don't see this lasting, uh, but it's a good story for this week. 
Obviously, typical Derrick Rose game. We did get the stat that he took 635 dribbles in that game, which was the most dribbles taken by any one player this year. And it was it was without Jimmy Butler, right? I mean, do you think he's going to be an effective rotational player or an impact player this year? Or do you think it's a total mirage? I mean, I have no idea, to be totally honest with you. We don't know what we're going to get from the Timberwolves. Apparently, Jimmy Butler is telling them when he is and isn't going to play. I just have no idea. Carl Towns, I feel for Minnesota fans in this way. Like, Carl Towns looks like a guy now who is not going to end up finishing his career in Minnesota. He's going to be good, but they're not going to win a lot of games. And then he goes to another team with a better coach, and all of a sudden, he's a monster, and they win games. And Minnesota fans are like, man, we wasted. That guy's prime. And that's that's why I think there's pressure on them to get rid of Jimmy Butler. And I don't know, again, we've talked about Jimmy on this before. We've talked about Thibs on this. We've talked about Minnesota's roster. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But if Derrick Rose scoring 50 is the biggest thing that happens and that guy's getting 28 minutes a game for you, I don't know what the hell you're doing. I mean, analytically, they're rated the third worst team in the Western Conference. They have a young guy who's 23. They just signed to a Supermax who very clearly does not get along with Jimmy Butler. So. Well, it, it is a shame because, like last year, we were putting Minnesota and Denver in the same boat. They were fighting for that yeah. eight seed, yeah. And Minnesota was slightly ahead of the curve. It, it's like mind-boggling that Tyus Jones is playing twenty minutes a game and Derrick Rose is playing twenty-eight. And I, I just, I, I don't get it. Also, like Josh Okoji is a very good rookie for them from Georgia Tech. He's averaging ten points a game, shooting. You know, not great from three, but that'll probably go up. But like, he can guard. It, it's like this is a team that you have an opportunity to be like, you know what? We're going to embrace the young guys. And whether or not we pay to Andrew Wiggins $155 million, whether or not we pay Carl Towns, like we have a chance to build around a core of guys. And I think Tyus Jones is part of that. Well, and also it shows you the franchises that are developing their young players. Like look at like Toronto, for example, like all those guys who are now in the rotation are starting time to time are young guys that weren't highly, you know, didn't have a huge pedigree, but they've been slowly developed given time and they're becoming productive players who are going to be there for the long haul they're not looking for that quick fix you know 35 year old veteran to come in and plug in and get, you know play 20 minutes a night so minnesota as of us recording is uh, four and seven they play this is actually a great segue they play the lakers on wednesday night so by the time this airs we'll see if one of these struggling teams that doesn't want to play their young players gets a win it's like the bod bod bad body language olympics so well, so let's talk about the lakers uh, the biggest story with the Lakers is to me that they are for some reason just unequivocally blaming this on Luke Walton. Okay. They're, they're four and six. LeBron looks pretty uninterested. Is that a good way to describe it? Well, did you see the clip? I was just watching a clip of him calling for, you know, calling off Brandon Ingram and Ingram kind of crabby. I I didn't know Brandon Ingram was such a, (laughs) such a diva. I thought he seemed like a nice kid, but those quiet ones, you have to worry about, I guess. What's the Lakers specifically? There's there's a lot of questions here. First of all, Tyson Chandler takes a buyout from the Suns, signs with the Lakers. So now you have another old rim protector who at one point was awesome. He has not really been awesome. He is almost 40 years old, which was pretty surprising for me to see. I, I I like this sign. You don't like Tyson Chandler. I think they needed a backup like that, like a 10, 15. I mean, guy. I think that he can be that guy. I, I mean, he was, you know, defensively, he's still been pretty good the last couple of years. I just don't really know. I, I just don't, I don't know. Zan, like getting older just doesn't make sense for the Lakers. Like, oh. <laughs> well, that's definitely a team that's, that's struggling to fight. The thing I like about Tyson Chandler is he's supposed to be a great guy, great locker room guy, if that's a concern. 
the backup big was a problem. He he played 20, I looked up his stats, 25 minutes a game last year in the times he played, six points, nine rebounds. So he he's not like a total shell of himself. Um, if you're worried, you know, we talked about this with the Lakers. If you're if you're a negative Nancy like Tyler, um, you might say, Hey, look, another old guy that played well against LeBron in the playoffs five years ago. You know, like they, that they're collecting guys like that. Um, you know, Tyson Chandler's best moment was with the Mavs beating LeBron, and then suddenly he's on the team. Same with Lance, same with Rondo. Every guy who beats LeBron, he, he was cheaper rim protection, right? So that that right then and there, like you weren't going to get another like backup center who could protect the rim for you know to keep you under the luxury tax and all that. I, I guess to me, I I don't I don't even know what the Lakers do. Like I, like I said, I, I think LeBron just looks like he doesn't want to be there. Well, do you think he? Do you think they're going to file fire Luke Walton, or do you think they'll wait? Oh, man, I don't even know. Like, I'm. I don't want to rant about this. I, I, you give me shit for being long winded, which is definitely warranted. But like with LeBron, I don't. I just don't understand what you're supposed to do, right? Like Luke Walton obviously wants LeBron. You know, when LeBron's going there, like this is great. And we talked about this before. Like they played together at, at, by all accounts. Like they were friendly. But like, if you're Luke Walton, you have this roster that's very odd. You, you had Brandon Ingram get suspended. You had Rondo get suspended. Like, you haven't had your full complement of players. You're trying to figure out rotations, and it's like all of a sudden, nine games into the year, you you all you need to have it totally figured out. That that's like, it's just not necessarily fair to say that like Luke Walton is the problem. But I get like again, if you're a coach, like this is what you sign up for. You get paid five million dollars a year to figure it out, and if you don't, you get fired, and you still get your money. But I just don't think that like what what drastic is going to happen that's going to change what's going on with the Lakers. No, and and if anything, you'd think there was sort of a plan in place when LeBron signed there. It's like, hey, intention was let's go young, let's be patient, and every move they've made since then betrays that by signing all these old guys. Um, so it's it's a little bizarre. Um, I don't think Luke Walton's the problem. Um, I think it would be really overreactionary to fire him. I don't know if he's the answer, but I don't know what coach out there is going to get, you know, and plant a system on these half young, half too old guys that would work. They are very bad defensively, 23rd in the NBA. Uh, they're giving up a ton of points just because they're, they're, they're playing relatively fast. But their numbers, I think they're third in pace. But their numbers, you know, from an analytical standpoint, which is what I like to bring to this podcast sometimes – they're playing about as a league average team, right? And they're four and six. It probably looks a little bit worse than they are because it's the West and people panic. But they've also played a, a relatively tough schedule. Okay, Portland is eight and three. They split with Portland. They lose to Houston, who's pretty good. San Antonio is six and three. They lost that game in overtime with guys suspended. They they beat Denver. They've lost. They lost at San Antonio. Somehow they lost to Minnesota. That was a Derrick Rose game. But they beat Dallas. They beat Portland. Then they lose to Toronto without Kawhi. Like. They get a chance. They play Minnesota, Sacramento, Atlanta. They play Portland again, and then they get Orlando. Like, this is a team that doesn't need to panic, okay? But because LeBron is on your team, everybody panics. It's like, what the hell are we going to do with well, LeBron? Well, and also, it's a, it's a media firestorm. Like, before the season, we were talking about MVP candidates. I said, like, the media wants to keep LeBron in the conversation. And as you mentioned, the team is probably not as bad as their record, but they're a mediocre team. They're not going to contend with even like the Denver's right now. 
Um, so they're kind of irrelevant in that regard. So the way to talk about LeBron is to say how great he is and how he's MVP, which right now we can't say. Or we could talk about who's going to get the blame for their slow start. Is it going to be Luke Walton? Is he going to trade Lonzo? I mean, like that's the way we can keep talking about the Lakers. And it's great talking point for a team that is irrelevant. Let me ask you this question, Zan. Let's say they fire Luke Walton. This is their current coaching staff, right? Brian Shaw is their associate head coach. Uh, obviously has been a head coach in the NBA before. Didn't have an awesome experience as a head coach. Guys weren't really a fan of his hard-nosed style. So if you fire Luke Walton, do you keep this coaching staff in place? Do you bring in another? Like, who is coaching the Lakers if they fire Luke Walton? Well, I think, actually, I think Brian Shaw has a good reputation within the Lakers organization. I think they like that. He kind of harkens back to the Shaq, Kobe, you know, era. I think he would be a good placeholder if they do fire him. I think they have, like, big fish in their eyes. I think if you ask Jeannie Buss what she wants to do at the end of the year, I think she would say, I want to sign a superstar like Kevin Durant or Kawhi or whoever. And I want to get the biggest, you know, coach around to coach these guys, maybe like, you know, throw a lot of money at coach K. Maybe he, you know, gets chased out for paying players or something. Or, um, I don't know her relationship with Phil Jackson. What's Are they still dating or not? No, I have no idea. Phil Jackson is not coming back to coach LeBron. If, if Kevin Durant signs with the Lakers and you have Kevin Durant and LeBron, you think Phil Jackson would say no? He's like in a cabin in like Montana, like smoking peyote and like having a great time. Like I just, <laughs> Brian Shaw makes sense. Uh, 10 years. He has been an, on an NBA bench since 2005. So that is what, 13 years, 10 of those years he's been on the Lakers bench. So obviously they are very comfortable with him. But can he coach LeBron? And again, is he just a placeholder for someone else? Now, well, it's kind of like the Ty, Ty Lu thing where it's like, I, you know, but Luke Walton is supposed to be that. Like the players coach, get along yeah. with guys. And that's where like, I, man, I have no idea. I, I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. I don't think, I am a, I, I want to see LeBron lose. Like I've talked about this before. Like I, I love it. It's hilarious. He looks, Bill Simmons uh, on his show and this Monday, I think, uh, Guess the Lines made a comment about how like LeBron looks like a kid who committed to play college basketball somewhere because all his friends were going to do it. And then all of a sudden his friends didn't commit there. And then he looks like, oh man, I don't really want to be here, but I, I couldn't get out of it. And maybe that's the case. Maybe he thought he was getting Jimmy Butler. He thought he was getting Kawhi, whatever. And now he's kind of like, I got to deal with these young guys. But it's disappointing for me as an NBA fan to watch LeBron kind of go through, not let's go through the motions because he's averaging like 27, seven and seven. So it's not yeah, like same playing stats. bad. It's just that like, the energy with the Lakers appears to be very meh, if you will. Like, no, nah, I can't even think of the right word. Well, I have a question for you as a coach. Um, so say you're, you're the hottest coaching co- prospect in town, which I think you are, but so far hasn't caught on with the NBA circles yet. Um, and they offered you two jobs. You can coach LeBron's Lakers, which have all these problems, and you're probably going to get the blame if things don't go well. Or you'd coach a team that's just a total rebuild, like the Cavs right now. Which which job would you take? I would probably take whichever job's going to give me a better buyout. I guess I would want to. I mean, I guess like here's the thing: you coach LeBron. Like I, I think I would just negotiate my contract to be like, like Brett Brown, for example, when he took the Sixers' job with Sam Hinkie, he negotiated four full, fully guaranteed years. So like, if they were terrible and he got fired, he got his money regardless. Because once you're an NBA head coach, you you will more than likely always get a chance again to be an NBA head coach because they just recycle candidates. So I guess I'd rather recruit the, I'd rather coach the team that wins. But the problem is, 
if you coach LeBron and you win, LeBron gets the credit. If you coach LeBron and you lose, you get fired. Whereas if you go to a right, and and that's like a that's a devil's bargain that you're okay with as long as you can win. Like Ty Lue talked about how hard it is to coach a team like that, or Kevin Love talked about how hard it is to play with LeBron. But the reward is there because you're going to be in the finals and maybe winning a title. At this point, with this roster, I don't think you can make that claim. I don't think you can say it's worth it because we're going to be in the finals. You might lose in round one. One one quick LeBron point, and then we'll move on to his old team, which is currently a smoldering train wreck. Like, it's fallen off the tracks and it's on fire now. But LeBron, I was really, really surprised about... I don't, I don't really know how to describe this. I was really surprised that LeBron took his talents to your neck of the woods in, in Brentwood and Beverly Hills because... I always thought that LeBron cared a little bit more about winning six titles. And I think when he decided he was going to go to L.A., that LeBron was kind of just like, you know what? Maybe I can do this, but if I don't win six titles, it's not the worst thing. But if I'm in L.A., I can make a billion dollars. And I always thought that LeBron's aspirations were more of that as a player. But it appears that LeBron, as a person, has higher aspirations. And that's okay. I don't mind that. I just was surprised. No, absolutely. And that you way. know what? I think his path to being the GOAT, if you care about that, and maybe he does, and I think he does, I don't think it's going to be the finals record. You know, Jordan had that six and zero, and it's hard to beat that. Even if you win, even if you go seven and seven in the finals, people could point to that perfect record. They're always going to say that, yeah, hundred. But I think he can make the claim, um, just based on longevity. Being like, look, you know, Jordan played whatever fifteen years. I'm going to play twenty good years. Like, whose career would you rather have? Um, and I think in that sense, like Kareem almost, you can credibly make the case that um, he has, he's the most valuable career of all time. Even if it didn't always win in titles, it always meant relevance for 20 years. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I just, like I said, I think I'm, I'm just a little surprised that it went that way with LeBron. And that's where he is different. Like, I never want to fire up Kobe stands because like when they listen, they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll destroy your podcast ratings. And we were a top 10 sports and rec podcast at one point this past week. So but that's the difference between LeBron and Kobe. Like, Kobe would have done anything he could to win more titles. And LeBron doesn't, not that his heart doesn't necessarily beat that way. It just feels like LeBron has some other interests. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just so, like, it's like when you go to L.A. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's shown that. Like, going to Miami. But that was about winning. Going back to Cleveland with a, tit- with a you know, a talented team. It but wasn't that was, like, about winning there, one title, though, right? Like, he couldn't. Well, that's, like, sort of controlling the media narrative, too, where it's, like. It's a huge success if I win one title in Cleveland. I, I think you, if you want to be negative against LeBron, and I think he is one of the best two or three players ever, you can make the case, look, for a guy who is clearly the best player in the league for at least a 10-year stretch of time, to only win three titles is a little underwhelming. I love this because we've, we've gotten off track and it's more of a deeper LeBron conversation, which I'm always down to have. No, but it, I, I do think that's why I would compare him more to Kareem than Jordan because he's a guy who was hyped as the greatest prospect of all time. Um, had some immediate success, you know, kind of had to move to get another title. Um, and then ultimately it's about how long they played and how consistent. One of the things that I'll always give LeBron credit for is nobody has ever had as much hype as him. And the idea that he has gone from who he was in high school to who he is in the NBA to who he is now as an, as a vet with his level of his success, he's delivered everywhere. I I understand the finals record. I, I get it, but He's delivered everywhere. No off the court problem. Like you hear nothing. The guy is bulletproof. Like we we make fun of the stuff. Well, and he's he's very well managed. I mean, like regardless of it, it, and you know, in LA, his you know production company has a good reputation. 
politically, I think he's been an activist, but a thoughtful one. He's not firing off and like enraging people. He's making good points and being a good um, advocate for, for social change in a way that makes sense. And so I, I sometimes get on his case about, you know, his body language or blame shifting on the court, but in terms of like dealing with that pressure and that life, you know, a plus. Well, and that's job. where, like, you said this, and I, I have totally agreed with this. We are, we're entering a time where, like, LeBron is likely going to not be the best player in the NBA. He, he may not be this year. You know, it could be Steph Curry, could be KD, wh- whoever you want, could be Anthony Davis, whatever. But from about like 2006 to like 2016, maybe even last year, like LeBron was 100% the best player in the NBA. There was nobody else you would have taken over him. And I, I don't know, like, with I always argue about this with Kobe, and I don't want to turn this into LeBron, Kobe, or, or LeBron, MJ. I don't know what year I would pick where like Kobe was definitively the best player in the NBA. Cause like I have thought LeBron has been better than Kobe since probably 20, 20, 2007, maybe since like, and that was with Kobe winning two rings. I just like the guy has consistently delivered like just consistently. Right. And, and you might say it's a little bit of calling him the, the clear best player now is a little reputation based. Cause he's not clearly still the best player. I think it's debatable. He's still in the conversation, but if you had a pickup game and you're not taking LeBron one, you, you worry. I'm taking about Kevin, it. I'm taking <laughs> you Kevin know? Durant probably. Even though you take Kevin Durant one, I would take LeBron one just because I'd be scared not to. If we're um, if we're if we're facing like world domination and I need him to show up on a big stage, I'm, I'm not sure. I want to pick. The, I, I'm an offensive minded guy too, though, and the, the, the stuff that KD does is just different. But I, I mean, again, it's this isn't on LeBron. And this is why the Lakers are so stupid, right? Like, because we're talking about the Lakers, we're talking about Luke Walton, and ultimately it just is always going to come back to LeBron. So it's like, is it Luke Walton's fault or is LeBron not capable of carrying a team like this in the West where you play a tougher schedule? Like, the guy's not playing Orlando four well, who, times. who would? Like, I, I agree that Durant might be better than LeBron right now. I agree Stephen Curry might be more impactful than LeBron right now. Put either of the two in LeBron's place. Are they winning more than 45 I games? I, I agree with that statement. I have no idea. I, I, I think that if you – the one thing you cannot overstate with LeBron is that with Durant or Curry or Anthony Davis or Giannis, their roster probably doesn't look the same as it does now. Like Rondo probably doesn't come play with those guys. Uh, you know, JaVale McGee's probably not coming to play with those guys. So with Luke Walton – probably has more of an opportunity to impact how he wants to play because the roster is going to be a little bit different if you have those other guys on your team. That's the one thing about LeBron I'll say is that we know he has a lot of pull and a lot of say in personnel decisions. Now, what happens at that point, I don't know. I wonder if he's a victim of his own success in terms of longevity because there are different generations of players that are all buddies with each other. And right now, LeBron's friends, for the most part, are kind of getting weeded out of the league. They're no longer effective. Um, and maybe the younger guys don't consider themselves like a peer of LeBron and they want to play with him. They don't think of them as an equal or they would be treated as an equal. So they're a little reluctant to do that. So um, it's certainly an interesting storyline to watch. I'd still be surprised if Luke Walton gets fired this year, but we'll see. Did you see about this, by the way, this was one other thing from Bill, Bill Simmons on uh, Monday, but there was that article about like how Magic Johnson went on like a profanity laced tirade with Luke Walton. <laughs> yeah. And Simmons said something along the lines of, like, I worked with Magic for a year. You know, we were together every day during the NBA season. And, like, he doesn't have any vices. Like, he doesn't swear. So, like, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, don't, know. I, I don't know about that. I, you know, I think Magic, you know, he has a squeaky clean image. But um, does he have a squeaky clean image? I mean, he, uh, he did before his, like, <laughs> he does, HIV he, he diagnosis. Does, he does now. He does now. 
Um, and, but even before that, like, I think that's why it was so shocking. I don't know if a lot of people listening were around at that time or remember how surprising that was that he came out as HIV positive because at the time it was considered, you know, sort of a degenerate gay disease. Um, and he had this like squeaky clean, all American image. Um, but I think you see from a lot of public figures, they can they can present that front like Lance Armstrong squeaky clean. Turns out he was up to shenanigans. Um, maybe Magic's an asshole behind the scenes. We don't know. I doubt it. But he, yeah. Um, all right. Well, forget about them. There, we'll we'll keep an eye on them. What other teams have really caught your eye this week? Uh, well, I want to talk about Cleveland because I, I want to go behind the scenes. They're the worst team in the NBA, probably. Maybe not the worst team. Maybe the Hawks are worse on a talent from a strict talent standpoint, but. They have this age discrimination lawsuit going with Jim Boylan, where Ty, Ty Lue's was uh, recorded on a voicemail saying that like they wanted to get younger, so they'll probably lose that. Who, who knows? But I want to talk about Jr. Smith and Kyle Korver, and I want to talk. I want your opinion. So Jr. requested a trade partially because he's not playing, and then Kyle Korver is claiming that he had a handshake agreement with Kobe Altman that if LeBron moved on, they would move him, and the Cavs are not honoring that. How do you feel? Like, does Kyle Korver one? Does he help teams at this point? And two, do you think Kyle Korver has a legitimate argument or is this a business and Korver gets paid his money to play for the Cavs? What do you think? Well, you know, stemming from our conversation last week, we talked about Kevin Love and whether he's still a trade asset and what teams might fit. And so after that, I went back to the Cavs roster and I'm like, if they tear it down and they hold the garage sale and sell off all these pieces, what could they get back? And almost to a T, like nothing, <laughs> like everything is a negative asset almost or a neutral asset at best. Korf is probably the one that's still a clear positive because he's on a short uh, term. I think it's two years, eight million per year, which is very reasonable um, for a guy who could still give you 20 minutes a night, maybe. Um, and you can and make open threes I, unless it's in the playoffs. <laughs> I still like him. And I think a lot of teams that we talk about spacing wise, you know, like a team like Philly, could he come in and, and be that, you know, JJ sub when JJ's resting. I don't know. I think he still has value at eight million a year, but it's probably a second round pick value. Um, so I'd like to see him go somewhere else. I think they should do right by him just for their for both of their sakes. You know, he's not helping them right now. Um, so why not send him to a you know a contender and let him chase you know a ring and, and get a second round pick for it? I, I don't see what the, why you'd want to hold on to him. Do you think I, I don't necessarily disagree with that statement? Uh, do you think that this hurts Kobe Altman uh, moving forward if players see stuff like this? In what sense? I don't think anyone's going to Cleveland anyway. Well, <laughs> so, okay, so I mean, that, that's, that's my question. Like, does this hurt you from a recruiting standpoint when you're trying to get? No, I, but they're not about recruiting. They have a bunch of bad contracts on the books for two years. Um, they have a rookie who's you know still figuring it out. And, um, I think they're in a, they're in a three-year rebuild. I, I can't imagine they'll sign anyone for three years and they shouldn't. And maybe that fits Kobe Altman and that gives him a little leash, um, because there's not immediate pressure to win now. He just needs to draft well, I guess. Yeah. And that makes sense. Obviously the other thing with J.R. Smith requesting a trade, uh, he is much more valuable as an expiring in the summer than he is right now. Uh, I think he has to get past a certain threshold. I believe it's June 30th. And then he's eligible to be traded and bought out, which would save teams money. So very unlikely that J.R. Smith will move this year. Uh, but now let's talk about the Colin Sexton story. I, I know this is one of your favorite stories, so I will let you intro it and then we'll... Well, no, I just thought it was funny. Colin Sexton, I wasn't super high on in the draft, but he's a scorer, uh, ball dominant point guard. And then it came out in the, you know, 
all the media leaks and spins that a lot of the veterans there didn't think he know how to play basketball, which is sort of a red flag when you're banking a franchise on a young player. It's it's about as damning of a uh, statement as I've heard, haven't you? So he's 19. He is much more of a... I would say that Colin Sexton's basketball IQ isn't tremendous per se, but I, I think. Like, but don't you think that was harsh? He doesn't know how to play basketball. <laughs> he might not know how to play. Avery Johnson's his college coach, right? So Avery is very, very disciplined and does not give a lot of freedom. But he had a ton of freedom last year in Alabama. It's very possible he's not ready to play in the NBA, you know. But you got to go. Well, and also like this is this is a team. I think in Colin Sexton's defense, a lot of times these rookies go to like super young teams that are there, you know, like Minnesota from a few years ago where they're still trying to figure it out themselves. He went to a team that's bad, but a bad veteran team that was just in the finals. So like, they're just limited in terms of the talent, but like somebody like, you know, Kyle Korver knows how to play basketball and he, he's, you know, high IQ. Um, so I understand, I sympathize with him in that sense, but I, I do worry about his long-term future. So if you're the Cavs, what do you do? You have to build around Colin Sexton. You don't have a choice. I don't think. I'll tell you, there, we, we could talk about we could talk about the draft later. But like, if there was a superstar point guard that I thought was clearly the best player on the board, I would still take him. I don't think Colin Sexton is guaranteed. Yeah, I think that. there's a world where Colin Sexton's best role is bench scorer, and I think that's fine. Like that guy matters. Uh, real quick on the J.R. Smith stuff. After June 30th, you can trade for. He makes 15.6 million, but his 2020 salary is only guaranteed for 3.9 million. So if you trade for him after June 30th, once that contract uh, fully that contract guarantee runs out, you get 11.7 million in cap space if you trade for him and cut him. So he's obviously much more of an asset at that point because teams do not want to pay the 15.6 million uh, this year. Do you think he helps? Like let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument, bad feelings aside and contracts aside, J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver go to the Lakers. Do you think that makes the Lakers better by any means, or it's neutral? I don't know, but I also I don't think so. But I also don't want to trade for guys when I know they're not going to help me beat Golden State. Like I, I think the plan for LeBron should be: Can I beat Golden State in 2020? Not can I beat Golden State in 2019? Because you can't. So like, if I'm LeBron and I can get more comfortable with Brandon Ingram, more comfortable with Lonzo Ball, more comfortable with Josh Hart, more comfortable with Kyle Kuzma, I can draft. I can maybe get Kawhi. I can maybe get Anthony Davis. I can maybe get Jimmy Butler. Whatever. Then you have an opportunity to win an NBA title. You're not winning the NBA title with J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver. You're ostensibly you're on a worse team now. Like, and it's not that their talent level's worse, it's just that you're not playing. Like there were literally games where LeBron could just show up, sleepwalk through, and they'd win 101 to 94. And people be like, oh, what's wrong with the Cavs? Well, they keep winning because it's the East and you get to play Orlando and Brooklyn and the Knicks 12 times a year. But he doesn't have that anymore. Well, and the East is key. Like this team in the East, I think, would be a lock for the playoffs. hundred percent. He he would win fifty six games with this team, fifty five plus games, I think, with this team in the East. So it is interesting. There are like ten credible threats for the playoffs in the West, and maybe more if you're buying into you know Memphis and Sacramento type teams. Good segue. Surprising playoff teams. There are there are three teams I think that are playing really really well in the East and the West right now that look like they could be top four seeds in either of their conference, getting off the Lakers and the Cavs and this LeBron. And then what, next, next week's in, we'll, we'll not talk about LeBron for the entire episode. How about that? We'll, well, we'll see. <laughs> he, might, he might choke slam Luke Walton or so something. So Portland's 8-3, and three, currently the three seed. Sac, uh, San Antonio, 6-3, and three, the four seed, and those are obviously in the West. And then the Pacers are 7-4 and four in the East. Which one of these three teams do you think has a chance of keeping this up and maybe winning a first-round playoff series? So the choices are Portland, San Antonio, Indiana. Um, I think... 
I, I would consider Indiana um, as the favorite for the most likely to win a playoff series just because they fit really well together. They almost did it last year um, and they are in the East. So if they're playing a week, you know, if they're playing whoever, Detroit or something, they could certainly do it. The team that I think is actually the best of those three, if you put them all in a, a neutral court, I think Portland's the most dangerous. Still. Oh, really? I like I like Lillard and McCollum. I'm, they can get hot and they can go cold and they could get swept. But um, you give me two guys could go for 40 any given night. It gives me a punching chance. Yeah, so actually, um, but what about you? Uh, just some basketball re- reference, simple rating system right now. Portland's rated as the second best team in the West and San Antonio's rated as the seventh best team. So they have not really staggered Lillard and McCollum this year, which I think is super interesting because you obviously want scoring on the court. But they've gotten, I mean, they're playing 12 guys 10 minutes or more a night. Like, Myers Leonard is not giving them super uh, successful minutes, but he played well last night. They are defending, like, I just can't believe how good this team is right now. Like, I I am stunned. They're second in offensive rating and fourth in defensive rating. And part of that should be their schedule, which has been a little bit easier. But this is a a good team. They're, They're way better than I thought they would be. Well, and also, like, there was this sort of perception they were the three seed last year, which was, you know, a little misleading because everyone was so bunched close together. But I don't know. I mean, you take a team that was the three seed last year, bring everybody back, um, keep the same coach. I- I'm not surprised they're good. Yeah. Um, I think the Washington think... Wizards running it back. All the <laughs> uh, I'm more surprised by the Wizards being bad than I am the the Blazers being good. That's fair. And I think, you know, I think you throw them in a playoff series against New Orleans, who they got swept by last year, or Denver, or any of these kind of teams, I think they have a shot to win a, to win a round. I don't think they could beat Golden State. One certainly. of the things that I think they've really adjusted is that Evan Turner is, the second, is like their second unit creator now. And so instead of being like, Evan, we're going to put you on the court with other guys that make a lot of money, we're like, we're going to put you in a situation where you don't need to shoot it quite as much. And, and you're looking at Evan Turner averaging 10.5, 5.5, and 4 assists a game on 50% shooting, you know, not taking a ton of threes, taking some, but Evan Turner only playing 25 minutes a game. They, they found some value in him. My guy, Zach Collins is actually playing really well. That's one that I'm going to take some credit for. And then they found some minutes from like Nick Stoskis is shooting it. Well, Seth Curry shooting 45% from three Mo Harkless shooting it better. And those guys aren't playing a ton of minutes either. So like, well, and I like those guys. I like I, Mo Harkless and uh, Aminu. I mean, they're long. They're, they could guard either forward spot and, you know, they could hit open threes. Yep. Um, so I, I actually think those guys are almost like the secret glue to that team. You know, you put in an Aminu, he, he can help a lot. And of Dame is really good. That's the one other thing. Like Dame has been fantastic the last two years. I would say, though, that I probably would bet on Indiana, like you said, just because it's the Eastern Conference. So they've played awesome. Victor Oladipo, I mean, good Lord, is he great? I mean, he was fantastic against Boston, hits the game winner, game winning steal, like uh, Vic looks every bit as great as you know we thought last year. So, well, we, neither of us mentioned San Antonio. Do you think they're a lock for the playoffs? They're six and three now at the time of this recording. <laughs> didn't, I think I said something along the lines of like I loved their over before, and then I didn't like it when all their point guards were injured. But Greg Popovich is a wizard, and we'll just end up. I mean, Brent Forbes is scoring ten points a game as a as their starting point guard. It's like. He's made DeMar DeRozan into more of a uh, passer. He's setting the table for guys, but still averaging 27 a game. Like, DeRozan is playing unreal. He's playing amazing. Like, 27, 7, and 6 for for a guy that has never been a defender and never been a distributor. So, yeah, San Antonio is going to make the playoffs. I don't know how. Uh, Greg Popovich is amazing. It's I don't know 
how much smoke and mirrors this is. And they're so they're so good as an organization. We've had them on like our sort of like mini prep rundown like every week, and we never get around to talking about them because they're so consistent. You know, change stars, and they're still you know right in that 45, 50 win range. They uh, probably are playing a little bit above expectation. It's it's very early. They've only played nine games, but and they they did just lose to Orlando somehow, which is never good. That was at home too, but. You know, not, not a team that's amazing. Just the 23rd in pace, 17th in offense. I'm sorry, 9th in offense, 17th in D. So might see them even out a little bit. Look at you with the stats. Yeah. Somebody it's did like, their research to me, today. like, maybe they're a 45-win team, which is still really good. That could make the playoffs. So I'm going to say that they do make the playoffs. Well, the thing you'd worry about them, you'd worry about their upside. Because, yeah. like, Damian Lillard could go off for 50 any night. I guess Rude DeRozan can too, but, you know, he works for it. Um, I don't, they wouldn't scare me though. If I'm playing them, if I'm Denver and I'm playing San Antonio, I, I wouldn't be afraid. Of my that, that, that's a, that's a, a pretty good point. Uh, how about this? Even more surprising teams. We got Sacramento six and four, Memphis five and four, Brooklyn five and six, but would be, I believe the eighth seed. And then I'm going to throw in the LA Clippers as well at six and four right now of those four teams. Who's oh, making gosh. the who's making the playoffs? Like somebody is getting in. Who's making the playoffs? Again, you'd have to bet, I guess, on Brooklyn just Brooklyn's from being in the East. Yeah, seventeen. Um, I think Brooklyn is a credible threat to make the playoffs, and uh, it's just because the East is so weak, and and the Wizards look so bad. I had written the penciled the Wizards in, and if they're not going to turn it around, they're only you know if you look at it, they're about four games behind Brooklyn, three games behind Brooklyn, so they can certainly catch up, but they just look funky. Um, I don't think Sacramento, I think they're a good young core that get, you know, got too much flack. Memphis, I think will hang around, sort of sniff around 500 and stay relevant in that regard. But I think they'll slightly miss out. Um, I would predict like 42 wins for them. Uh, what about you? Sacramento, Memphis, Brooklyn. If you had to bet your life on one of them making the playoffs, who would it be? Man, I don't want to bet on Brooklyn. I do really like Brooklyn though. I think Karis LeVert's good. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, good rotation player. Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, is a very good player. I think Memphis is the best of those teams, so I think I'd rather just bet on the talent. Uh, the problem with the West, though, is like like I said, the Pelicans four and six. They've lost four, six straight. Some of that's been with Anthony Davis injured. The Lakers four and six. Utah four and six, and Houston's four and five. So those that that's four teams right there that we thought were playoff teams. So. I think, and you could see you could see it going badly. Let's say Anthony Davis gets hurt; that opens up a lane for Memphis if he misses more than you know a game here and there. But I just don't see any of those teams missing the playoffs, and that's why, like for Memphis, and and, and here's another thing: Oklahoma City. We we don't really want to talk about them a ton, but Russell Westbrook now with the what appears to be a pretty bad ankle sprain, if he misses fifteen to twenty games, like they could fall off as well. So maybe that opens up a spot. Yeah, and if Memphis if Memphis can stay healthy and stay around forty two wins, five, around five hundred. Then maybe you know a team falls off, and then you you benefit there. So I, I I if everyone's healthy, I would pencil them in nine seed or ten. But you never know. The one thing that that I think your point is interesting is that like the Wizards are are, are two and eight, and I won't go crazy on this for a second. They were two and eight two years ago and ended up winning forty nine games. There's we have seen nothing though with this Wizards team that that shows that they can go on a run. They've been a, a horrendous defensively. Same story we talked about last week. Just their lack of caring. Dwight Howard's actually been pretty good, but it doesn't really matter because they give up so many open shots. So I, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't I don't see that. That's the part with Brooklyn where I would be a little bit more confident is because in, in the West, there are things that I see with some Western Conference teams like Utah has shown flashes. We know what Houston can do and Harden's been injured. We know what LeBron is capable of doing. We know what Anthony Davis is capable of doing. So it just feels like those teams 
have shown a lot more. Whereas like the Wizards, this could be a 20 win team. Now, I don't think they're going to win 20 games. They'll probably get their shit together and win like I saw some I saw on Reddit a lot of people are like, are the Wizards going to tank now? I, not, I don't see no, it. They're not I, tanking I think, with 100 and you know, they're not tanking with 110 million tied up in five guys next year. Like you can't can't really do it. I th- I think they'll come back a little bit. I I'm still optimistic. Some of their, you know, Otto Porter's been in and out, hasn't been himself yet. I and Dwight Howard's coming back. His sore butt is healing, <laughs> and uh, I think they're going to win f- at least forty and make the playoffs, which is probably enough in the East. Um, but then again, it's just disappointing because that's a team that I would have thought, you know, could have developed into a contender in the East a few years ago, and it just hasn't happened. They are very bad. Uh, I don't like. I said I, I just don't. I don't see it. Not not with the way the team appears to care about each other. I think that they just don't really want to play. Speaking of tanking. By the way, uh, Wizards, hopefully they tank because, you know, after what we saw last night, let's talk about Champions Classic really quick. We'll, we'll, we call this one back to school. We talked about Zion last week. Uh, he and the rest of the Duke freshmen were fantastic last night. Zane, if you were going to tank for one guy, if you're the Knicks or you're the Hawks or, I mean, I don't even know, you're the Cavs, which one of those three guys do you want? It, it was so fun to watch. I hope people watch. There's election going on. But the, those two high-profile games – and to me, like what jumps out at me, we've talked about, you know, they flatten the lottery odds and they changed it. So they're drawing four spots. So if you tank and you, you might end up with the fifth pick, but I think it's a great year to be the fifth pick. I, I don't think it's necessarily clear. Number one coming into the year. I thought Barrett was Barrett. And then a gap. I think Barrett is still my number one guy. I thought he looked really he good. Awesome and he, 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 and he's bigger than I realized. Like he, he looks like a legit six seven, long armed. I would love the idea of putting him at shooting guard and having long wings. Um, and I was really impressed with Zion too. I mean, like this is a guy I was like skeptical about, but he's just like beating guys off the dribble. <laughs> he looks faster. He can hit an open shot. I don't think he's a great shooter, but um, I'm buying into him as a top three pick. And certainly, you made the point last week. Marketing dream. I mean, the whole game looked like the Zion Williamson show. ESPN like might na- rename themselves like the Zion Network. One of the things I was so surprised at, and again, I, maybe this is because we, we, I'm going to plug my other show for one second on Create Your Shot. When we've talked to other college assistants, we've talked a lot about like what the wildest thing they've ever seen in an AAU tournament was. And we, the most given answer we, we had gotten was Zion versus LaMelo Ball back at the Adidas Championships in Vegas, uh, I believe it was two years ago. Because they said like the energy and the buzz was crazy. And last night was one of the first times I've ever seen Zion in like a huge arena like that. And every stinking time he touched the ball, Zan, it was like the roof was about to come off. Like the buzz in the building when he touched the ball was like, what's this guy going to do? Even when he was like, just got a rebound and passed it. Well, it's and it kind of like you wonder where he fits the modern NBA. But we talked about it with Blake Griffin when he had his big game. There's not a lot of guys like that, but there's also not a lot of guys who can defend players like that. Like, I don't know who you put on Zion um, if you're in the NBA. He looks, you know, he's so fucking he's big. so <laughs> big. It's, he looks so different than anyone. Like, he looks like Shaquille O'Neal, but he's 6'7". Like, I'm serious. Like, I, that, that sounds crazy, but it's like when young Shaq was in the league, he was just so Yeah, that's, bigger, a, that's so an interesting comment. I, I I was trying to think because I, I we tend to think I, I thought of Julius Randle, but he he's different than that. He's more special than that. I'm serious. From a physical standpoint, the only guy he really reminds me of is Larry Johnson. Well, what about I was thinking of a comp, a guy that I didn't see as a younger player. Uh, I don't know if you did, but what about like a Charles Barkley, like super so, undersized? The, the older college assistants that I've talked to like him as as Charles Barkley. He's bigger than Charles Barkley, though. 
He's more. Yeah, Barkley's like Barkley. allegedly like six four or something at playing power. So forward. the one thing that Zion does, just like Chuck, is gets up over top of people, rebounds, can bring the ball down the floor. But I, I will say this: the, the one thing I was really impressed by with him was, you know, he, he let the game come to him. He made a three, which was really good. He's way more skilled than people realize. I think I said this last week, but RJ Barrett was absolutely fantastic. Was in my opinion the best player on the floor, but like unbelievable lefty finisher like through contact yeah like, he, up on the way uh, down he, like using his right hand yeah. i mean he was fantastic and then cam reddish you know showed a lot of the skills now he had some questionable shot selection as you would expect and the show was about rj and and zion but cam reddish made some deep threes like and he's another guy that like they just look so different they look so big and long and athletic they made kentucky look like a, a, a mid-major team honestly they looked like an NBA team, but they also looked like the future of the NBA in the sense that yes. like, it's sort of positionless. And I just love, as you mentioned, they could all grab the rebound and go. You know, even Zion, Barrett can. And if things bog down, maybe you go to Trey Jones to kind of settle things down as a traditional point guard. But you got to love teams where they could, everyone on the court can take the ball and go with it and get so defenses our, off So balance. your big board is still RJ1. I say RJ1. You know, the guy you mentioned uh, – a few weeks ago, maybe it was off the podcast or not, but I, I watched some of Romeo Langford highlights, um, kid going to Indiana, and I was really impressed with him. Quentin Grimes. For- 19 last night for Romeo uh, in a game that was a, they won by 50 against Chicago State. He was good. Quentin Grimes, Quentin Grimes was really good. I don't know if the shooting is real, though. What do you go, six or eight from three? Yeah, Quentin Grimes is a big guard from Kansas. He looked good last night. I thought his shooting form looked good. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I love, and I haven't seen this here little at UNC yet. Um, in terms of the college game, but I, I tend to like those kind of guys you can easily translate. So like somebody like I mean Langford or Cam Reddish, I'm like, I know he's going to be a pretty good NBA player. And Darius Garland for Vandy last night, I, I think 24 and six. I, I would be very tempted to put Zion too, but I, I don't know. We'll have to see. But th- it's certainly a class that I would say RJ still number one, clearly. And then I would say there's about four or five guys fighting for that two spot. I'm going to tell, tell you this right now. If the New York Knicks get the number one pick, Zion Williamson is on the team unless they're signing Kevin Durant. Well, you know who your owner wants. You know who your marketing department wants. I'm telling you, I am telling you, if the Knicks have the number one pick, I will go on the record right now and say it. If the Knicks get the number one pick in the NBA draft next year, even if, Ky- if could you imagine Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson, and Chris Stapps Porzingis on the same team? What I love about that too is like I hate that argument when it's clearly not a guy who's worthy of the spot. Like we heard it with Tim Tebow, like sign Tim Tebow and sell tickets. Like you're not going to be selling tickets if you go four and twelve, you know. Like, but Zion is a credible top five prospect. So if you want to take sure, for sure, for two sure. instead of four, it's worth it. But Zion is the most. I, I guess like the most apt comparison right now is probably Blake Griffin, and he was he's better than Blake Griffin was as a freshman, and that's a guy that went number one overall after his sophomore year. So uh, we will not stay totally into there. Let's do disappointed dads. And what do you got for us this week? Daryl Morey didn't really listen to you. It didn't go as well as Donovan. Mitchell well, he thinks before. he's so smart. He doesn't have to listen to my disappointed dad talk. But, you know, we talked to the young kid, Donovan Mitchell. We talked to sort of our teenage kid, Daryl Morey. But I'm having a baby in April. And one of the things you have to navigate as a prospective father is the in-laws and the grandparents. Like, how do you manage that role? These are people who've done it before. You you appreciate their wisdom, but you don't want them to be too hands-on and treat them like, like it's their kid. And so with that in regard, I want to talk to my grandfather, my dad, future grandfather. David Stern, 
You remember him. <laughs> this is a guy who we all appreciate what he did for us and our kids. Um, but it's not his. It's not his league anymore. This is not his team anymore. It's not his family anymore. So I was disappointed to see him come in with an interview where he started bashing Dell Demp, the GM for New Orleans. And maybe he's right, but it's really not his place, you know, in the same way that grandparents shouldn't make decisions for the parents. Um, I thought it, I thought it was a bad look, you know, don't, don't bash a current GM as inept. It's really sit back, enjoy your golden years, and hopefully we'll visit with the kids once in a while, but you need to take a step back. Grandpa. David turned pr- pretty upset that he, uh, or still bitter about New Orleans when he uh, turned. Yeah, the he's away. trying to be relevant. I, I like him, but a little bit of an overstep. <laughs> All right, man, I'm with you. Uh, for this week, for my teacher's pet, they get a little gold star. I'm going to go with a player who a lot of people know about, but I don't think people realize how good he has been. I am going to go to the Indiana Pacers, and we are going to talk about. Domitas Sabonis, uh, probably the current leader for six man of the year. Uh, and one of the reasons is, I mean, his numbers are, are really good. 14, nine and two and a half assists on 68% shooting and 81% from the foul line, but third in the league in player efficiency rating. Uh, he is second in true shooting percentage. He is second in field goal percentage, 10th in offensive win shares, fourth in win shares per minute, seventh in box plus minus Fifth in offensive rating, also very relevant defensively. Uh, one of the better defensive ratings. He just hasn't played a ton of minutes. But this is a guy for Indiana that they solely played as a small ball five last year. And they have actually changed that a little bit, playing about 20% of his minutes as a four next to either Miles Turner or TJ Leaf. So a guy that can shoot it. And their offensive numbers with him on the court have been absolutely ridiculous. So this is the guy right now that I have circled as the current sixth man of the year. But Leading the Pacers in rebounding, I believe he is their third leading scorer and only playing 23 and a half minutes a night. So just a guy that's carved out an unbelievable role for himself. And kudos to the Pacers for, you know, kind of having him as a throw in when people just laughed at them for what they got from Paul George. And now they've got, you know, their two of their, you know, their best player and probably their third best player from that deal with the Thunder. So Domitas Sabonis has been unbelievable. But take a look at the Pacers when you can get a chance and watch how they use their bench because it's unbelievable to watch this guy play. Plays his ass off every night. Well, that, that two-minute rant leads us to our next segment, Buzzer Beaters, um, where we try to answer quickly. You have 24 seconds on the clock to concisely answer a question. Do you want to start? Yeah, let's do it. So Larry Drew, bitching about not getting a guaranteed deal, was given a guaranteed deal to be the Cavs interim head coach, has a partial guarantee for 19 and 20. And my question for you, Zan, real simple, how many games is Larry Drew coaching the Cavs after this season? After the season, I was going to say how many games are they? How many games are left this season? No, no, That's he, he's number. coaching the rest of the year. They're, I believe they're one and ten or two and two and ten. So let, there's like seventy games left for them. But he's coaching. All okay, he's, he's coaching. He's coaching seventy games and plus zero. Um, but I'll throw in a little extra little offensive rebound here. I'm predicting the next Cavs coach. I I wrote about this like the Nate Tibbetts is an uh, assistant for Portland, has success in the D League player development guy had worked with the Cavs before and his assistant fits that sort of long-term rebuild plan. I'm predicting Nate Tibbetts next coach of the Cavs. It wasn't even the question, but I'm just, I'm like Zion. I'm just, I'm flashing into the rim regardless. Uh, speaking of Zion, I want to ask you a question. We talk about him as a top three pick, um, which is so unusual because he looks like a football player. And so my question to you is, let's say Zion abandons basketball and declares for the NFL draft following the idea of like a Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates, he's going to be the next great tight end. 
without a day of training. He's so athletic, so big, so talented. Where does he get drafted in the NFL? No, I, don't, I don't have any idea. In the second round as a tight end, I think. That's what I thought, too. You might have thrown that away, but I think that is legit. Always thinking with your GM hat on, NFL GM Zion, going in the second round. Uh, my last one, this sort of ties in, but we're about 10, 11 games into the year. So far from this year's rookie class, who is your rookie of the year? That's a great question. Um, and what a great rookie class. And to be, I won't dwell on them all because I'm supposed to be quick and I'm going to say Luca. I think he's been even better than I expected right away. And I, I agree that it's good for the league to reward the international stars. Let me uh, get a defensive rebound and push it down the court for a second. One of the things I think is unfortunate, uh, Luca, awesome, but because he has been so good, I think DeAndre Ayton averaging, you know, 16 and 11 on 60% shooting has been a little bit overlooked, especially because Phoenix stinks. But DeAndre Ayton has well, been... Well, I don't think it's been overlooked. He's been great. He's been awesome too. I think... I think almost everyone in the class has looked better than I expected right away. Jaron Jackson actually is the one guy that I thought was like way better than I thought he would be right away because he's so young. But yeah, really good rookie class. But Luca can't can't. Luca for now. Um, my question to you is: We haven't talked a lot about Golden State because because we're penciling their title in. Um, but I'll ask you this: They won last year pretty much without Andre Iguodala. How many of their stars do they need to win? In other words, how many are indispensable? Or not of the big four? I think they. I think they need all four of them. I think the guy they can afford to lose the most is probably Kevin Durant, just because we've seen it happen before. So you're saying? So let me ask, ask this a different way. Without Steph Curry, you think they'll lose the title? Without Kevin Durant, you think they would lose the title or win the title? I think they'd win the title without Kevin Durant. I think they would still win the title without. Actually, you know what? All right. 24 seconds is already gone. Shot clock violation. Yeah, Dray- it's okay. We're staying on Dray- this. Draymond, Draymond Green, to me, makes them the most special because of what he can do for them defensively. And it's it's like because he allows them to switch, he can guard fives, he can guard ones, whatever. He probably makes them the most different. They can, abs- they can absorb a loss of any of those guys on offense, I think. Any one of those guys. And again, we don't know about DeMarcus Cousins. That'll be something we talk about later, later down the road. But from a defensive standpoint, Draymond Green's the most indispensable. From an offensive standpoint, Steph Curry's the most indispensable. But what makes them- Okay, well, let, let's try a different tactic. So yes or no, I'll give you all four. Can they win without Steph Curry? The title. Can they win the title without Steph Curry? Yeah, they can. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, that's pretty much that's that's pretty damning for the rest of the league. But can you so, think? So I think Dray- Draymond. The, the hardest thing I think about the Warriors is that you think you need to outscore them, and then all of a sudden you realize they're really good defensively. So you think? Do you think they can win without Draymond Green? Because you say how valuable he is. Yeah, I don't know. That's the one that makes that ca- gives me cause for concern. Uh, Steph on offense for sure makes them different and makes them much more beatable without Steph because he's so good. But Draymond. I think that his impact is understated, especially for how he covers up mistakes. Like he's so smart. He's so emotional. Like I just, I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think you can win with three of any of the four. I just think they become much different defensively without Draymond. Certainly more vulnerable. So you say they can, the table. what about no Clay Thompson? You think they would win as well? Yeah, I think they could win without Clay Thompson. I agree with that. I, I think, I, I don't know, without Steph Curry, that, that, would, that would be hard to win, but there's certainly a gap between them and everyone else right now. So that'd be interesting to monitor. Hopefully I mean, it they almost beat. They almost beat, they should have beaten Cleveland, right? They should have beaten Cleveland in a year that Curry was really banged up. Like Curry was really, really banged up. Uh, and then they almost beat him anyway, but then Draymond goes and kicks, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, but Harrison Barnes, you know, they don't have that sort of depth to sustain a, a loss. Right, and think. so you replace Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant. I, I think they could, to be honest with you, with Durant and Curry on the same team, 
even without Draymond and without Klay Thompson, I still think they would be the title favorites. But obviously, it'd be much closer. By the way, uh, our 24-second clock, we're about three minutes on that one. So we need to work on our pace. So we need to get back in the gym and start working on, on our hot takes. But we'll do that for next time. We, uh, we should talk about that on another show. When DeMarcus Cousins comes back, we should talk about the Warriors and, and who's the most important thing, most important player to what they do. Because I think it's really interesting to hear other people's opinions on that because I do think that defensively is what makes them really, really special, even though their ability to shoot is obviously unparalleled. But I think, I think it's both. I think they were ahead of the curve on the small ball. And, but their shooting is still, I think, the biggest differentiation to me. Like if you could shoot everyone in a league, in a league where everyone's jacking up threes and hitting 35%, if you could jack them up and hit 40%, you're going to win. Yeah, most of for sure. Games. And it's, um, anyway, uh, we'll work on our pace. We'll get back in the gym, hot takes. We'll keep an eye on Zion, Steph, everything else for next week. Next week, no LeBron, no Zion, depending on what happens with Zion. We might have to talk about Zion, but. Should we just make this a Zion podcast? Is that what you're saying? He's got 1.8 million Instagram followers. We get a little shout out from Zion. All of a sudden, we got 1.8 million downloads. That's what we're looking for. Uh, Now you're doing the analytics. That's the math. I am Tyler Laurie at CYS Tyler on Instagram. He is Zandrick Ellis on Twitter. Excuse me. He is Zandrick. Yeah, whatever. Zan Ellison on Twitter. Zandrick Ellison at Gmail. He gave me all my questions. I haven't gotten any great ones to put on the. So step your game up too, guys. (laughs) And as always, we uh, appreciate you guys listening. If you like what you hear, Please uh, rate us five stars on iTunes. Leave us a review. Push us back up those charts again. And we will be back next week. So enjoy this week of the NBA. And Zan, you know, we'll talk next week, buddy. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.